Shall I do the beat? Mm-cha, 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 whatever it is. You know what's what's funny about our jingle is there's a there's a website called uh what was it? Oh, horrible oh, jingles. Horrible ho- horrible logos. I think it's the official website. You can get a logo done for ten dollars and a jingle, or logo done for five and a jingle done for ten. So we splashed out and had the ten dollar jingle made for us, <laughs> um, and it's really good. <laughs> I mean, it's it's ter- it's it's horrible, but it's like. You know, it's like your ugly, like, you know, stepson or something like that. Well, you still really love them anyway. And it will be so memorable. You know, it's always the worst adverts and the most annoying adverts that everyone recalls. Yeah. So it's maybe a yeah. stroke of genius. Yeah. For sure. I like buying horrible jingles as presents for people. <laughs> oh, yeah. We did that for a friend, actually. We, we bought one for a friend called, and we called her Ninja Elise. So the guy had to do one about Ninja Elise. Ah. <laughs> it was really catchy. It was like Ninja Elise on the streets. And it was just like, <laughs> I wanted to make it like her ringtone whenever she phones. I want one now. I want to feel shortchanged. Should <laughs> you do your I gift? Will, I will make you a, I will, I will order a horrible jingle for you. I can, I can spare you $10. We can do that. As like a thank um, you for uh, coming onto the podcast. Amazing. I can't, I can't wait to hear it. Please make the instructions like, about saying her name properly so the whole jingle has to be I about mean, saying I her think, name I think it would be kind of funny if he didn't say her name properly or just kind of like kept trying to say it in different ways <laughs> maybe I could have it like on Google you know where you feel like you need a pronunciation for a word maybe we could have it up there so when someone Googles Nadine Van Bilion, if you don't know how to say it, press, press this little thing. Well, to be fair, actually, he ranks quite high on Google. So actually, if, he, if we do send it out, it'll probably actually come up when, he, uh, when somebody Googles your name. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I should just do this for all my friends and not tell them. And then when somebody Googles their name, I'm like, where did this come from? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I think I think Nadine, you've actually accidentally introduced yourself, which is brilliant, and I love that. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> that was meant to be my job, but that's good. There's one thing off my top, my to do list. <laughs> Super efficient interview. This is yeah. So today on Chewing the Bell, we've got um, Nadine Van Bilion. Yay! Well done. She said it right. She got it right. <laughs> Spell V-A-N-B-I-L-J-O-N. And I do the spelling because you've probably seen her name around. She's been... I'm going to say that we, we wanted to speak to you because we felt like you are a mover and shaker in the industry right Ooh. now. Would that, would that be fair? I'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> like you've been doing a lot of talks recently. Oh, well, I'll let you explain all the bits, but I think you've been doing some ambassador stuff. Am I right? Don't I? Yeah, in an unofficial capacity, I think. If you're talking about like albums like Queensbury, I don't know if I'm an official ambassador I don't know if they actually have them to be fair but I kind of take on that role because they don't have a lot of support in the UK and because I am the album ninja as most people have referred to me um, I think it's just kind of happened you know so people make that association I don't know if I officially am I'm not connected or tied in in any way it just kind of looks that way so do you like hang from like rafters and throw albums at people like like ninja stars. Okay, cool. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so I take them out. I take them out without with uh, with albums, and they're pretty heavy. Some of them. So um, yeah, it's a good job. Yeah, I think it's just come from me having a, a strong belief in the album itself. You know, as in why people should have one. Um, I think there's a misconception that it's because it makes lots of money, and I do happen to make quite good upsales from selling the album. But really, the driver behind it is because I want clients to have a way to enjoy all those photos that I put so much effort into making for them. 
And when I look at at the print orders I get from clients, they're always of, you know, the couple or, you know, some group shots or maybe them walking back down the aisle. But all the little story moments, you know, the unique non-wedding moments that are the very reason people book most of us as photographers, they just don't get printed if they don't make a book or an album. So because people are booking me for that reason and for those photos, I just want to make sure that they get seen. So that is why I really encourage or, you know, extol the virtues, if you like, to my clients of why an album is a good thing. And when you explain it like that, they just buy into it straight away. So most of my clients have an album because they buy into that concept of, yeah, I want to enjoy those photos going forward. Yeah. And then the photographers have picked up on that as a supreme selling skill of mine that I've been able to like ninja sell them an album. It doesn't actually take a lot of like ninja moves, you know, to get them to buy into it if you just explain properly what it does. I think you're doing your clients a really good service as well because like a lot of us say we're going to have an album. Like I got married nine years ago and I still haven't printed an album Mm -hmm. of my wedding photos. Yeah. And I keep saying I'm going to do it, but I haven't, I haven't done it. And so like, you're really kind of like, we get busy with life that we just don't get around to doing the things that are really important, but don't have a timeline based on it. Like, you know, it's not like, I don't have to print the album tomorrow, but I should print the album tomorrow. Like I have other things that are on my to-do list. So like you're doing your clients actually a really great service by doing that. I believe that. And it it is from experience because I, I got married about nine years ago and the only real memories I have from my wedding are the pictures that made it into the album. Yeah. And I've got a DVD with 2,000 pictures on it. I couldn't even tell you what is on there because, you know, maybe looked at it the first time, got completely overwhelmed at the number. And eventually, about six months later, managed to get it down to a number that we could put in the album. And those are my memories mm. because actually my mem- my own memory is terrible. And that's only like nine years ago. Look, I can't remember how, how many years ago I got married. Fast forward 30 years, what would I remember from my wedding if I didn't have my wedding photos? Yeah. So when you just use like real life examples or like you said, Carrie, you know, I've had a client who five years ago didn't include one in their package. But every year they come back to me and say, we still need to make our, you know, our wedding album. I'm like, yes, you do. And I just know they're never going to get around to it, you know, yeah. which is one of the reasons why I build it into the package because it becomes part of the workflow then because yeah. they prepaid for it if you like they're definitely not going to lose that money and and it gets done i'm debating how much like we should like go into this topic (laughs) i know that you talk about this in workshops did you talk about it at nine dots and you're speaking about it at the jelly bean you were at elevate i spoke at elevate i'm not specifically i don't want to be like a one-trick pony for albums and i don't want you to be so just how much do we go into this i don't want to like undersell your workshop no god no i mean i i do like one-to-ones with people on their album strategy and I do some mentoring for people or like a workshop kind of thing. The album is one piece of it, but the other stuff that I've been speaking about at Elevate and Mm. Jelly Bean coming up and Nine Dots in in November, it's more about selling, you know, how to sell well without seeming like being a pushy salesperson. And, you know, my album selling is part of that. It's the same technique that I use when I'm selling anything, whether it's myself as the photographer or a pre-wedding shoot if I want to do one or a second shooter if I want one. My approach to talking the client through all the options and the benefits of those things is the same. And the album is just one of those products 
And I say sell, but I mean help them see the value of. Mm. And that's really what my kind of whole approach to all of this is with all my talks. How to influence people positively and in a way that brings them value that they choose to buy it rather than you having to do the hard sell. Yeah. And I think that's something that put photographers off wanting to put the effort into mm-hmm. selling albums because they see it as like, oh, I don't want to be seen as being a pushy salesman. Mm. But I think what you're doing is teaching them how to go about it and see it in a more, like you say, more positive way. Yeah. And it's really, you know, that they don't even realise that I'm selling it to them. And and also, I mean, without trying to sound too you know, altruistic here, I'm not looking at it as a can I make them buy this thing? You know, it's really not that. It's coming from a place of integrity and they're spending all this money on me. I want them to get their values worth Mm. and I don't want them to have all these amazing pictures and just never see them again. It just feels like you're hopping short of delivering the whole solution and things they don't really know because they have no experience of doing this or thinking this way. Mm. I see it as my role to talk them through it or educate them as to what the possibilities are and then allow them to choose you know and sometimes even when you've been through that people may choose not to do it but they're choosing not to do it with knowledge and insight and maybe a different plan to enjoy these these pictures another way and if it doesn't happen to be the album I really don't mind but I do feel it's kind of my job to do some of the thinking for them be like their trusted advisor because they appreciate it afterwards like I didn't even think of that Mm. and then you just you know you just go up and up in their estimations of being a super helpful person to work with. So do you include like an album credit in like all of your base packages or how are you like how are you getting them to start really thinking about it? Is it just kind of part of the pre-wedding conversation that you're having with them? Yeah, because I, oh, I have a maybe like an a la carte approach to my services, if you like. So mm-hmm. I have my starting from price, which is the full day digital package. And, you know, I do that so that I don't price myself out of an inquiry, you know, mm-hmm. so that people think, oh, yeah, no, that's okay. That's kind of what I'm expecting. And then because my goal with every client that I speak to or that that inquires with me is to try and have a conversation with them whether that is a telephone call or a Skype meeting or you know actually in person if I have to but Mm -hmm. I would just want to be able to talk to them to get that feel for what is important to them so that these conversations happen really naturally that I end up you know creating my photography package for them based on the conversation that we've had and it just pops out that the right thing for them is an engagement shoot with an album and a second shooter because we've talked about it. So I don't include one with every package because then you may, you may be giving it to people who don't really want it and then you're just more expensive. But I'm confident that when I talk to people about the benefits of all these things that I offer, that most of the time they'll buy into them as well. Okay. Because it's quite interesting because I would say I have the opposite kind of experience where I have a lot of couples who will say to me, oh, we, we, we don't want an album. And I wonder if part of that is related to either like the target market that I'm shooting for and whether or not it's it's different to yours or whether or not it's I, that I'm not doing enough to persuade them of the value of it. So how would you describe your, your usual target market? So I would say mine are quite an affluent set they're professionals probably homeowners they've got fairly good parental support so maybe the parents might be helping to contribute to the wedding as well but I actually don't think that makes a difference because I think all you need to ask is how do you plan to enjoy your photos and that is irrespective of where you are in the market you know it might be they might not want to drop 
£2,000 on an album, but they certainly might want to put it in a coffee table book or something like that, you know, and it doesn't have to be a really expensive album. It could be like an Apple book or something. <laughs> Other products are available. Just get them printed, you know, or, pr- or have a print box or something. Yeah. It doesn't, they don't need to spend that much money on a, you know, a high-end, beautifully hand-produced album. Yeah. But having the conversation with your clients just to say, so once we've, I've got all these amazing photos for you, what are you planning to do with them? And how are you going to enjoy them going forward when your link to your gallery has been lost or expired or, you know, you've lost the USB stick or, you know, you can't even plug a USB stick into anything in a few years time. When you just ask them the question, it makes them think about it and go, oh, I hadn't even thought about that. And they mostly haven't. And that's where I think, you know, it's our job a little bit to do some of the thinking for them. Um, and it provides a better service for the clients. And it also does make more money for us, which can never be a bad thing. Yeah, I'll happily put my hands up and say that I've never even thought of that question before. <laughs> I don't think you're wrong. I think it probably is a case of learning to have that conversation yeah. and, and attributing the value to the albums. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned about um, how you offer other albums, that, you know, that it doesn't have to be that kind of fine Italian leather, yeah. extensively crafted thing. Because um, I offer three different types of albums. And when I selected the products, I thought about the fact that I had occasionally had clients who said, oh, we want to have something printed, but we we can't really afford it. Mm-hmm. I made sure that I had a product that was kind of like a mass volume, mm-hmm. but reasonably priced one relative to the top end. I guess I've allowed for that, but I think I haven't done that extra step, as you say, of trying to talk to people who haven't mentioned it at all and just getting them thinking about it as well. Yeah. Well, I think it gets them to start like, because they're so focused on their, their wedding, then they're not envisioning how the photos will look mm. afterwards. Cause like people are just like, Oh, Hey, digital photos. That's how we all exist now. That's fine. Yeah. But like getting them to actually mentally picture having an album on the coffee table. Yeah. Getting them to go that final step. People buy what they see and they buy what you show them. So, I mean, I don't do that many face to face pre sales meetings anymore. You know, when I do, I definitely take an album along just in the process of having the conversation and talking about my photography. Yeah. And I bring the album out to show them what I'm talking about to demonstrate what I'm saying and in the process they're handling it and going yeah. this is really nice this is really beautiful I, you know we should have one of these you know they it's just sells itself I don't know about you but I found like in the last few years like the number of face-to-face conversations I'm having with clients before their wedding has gone down quite a lot people are more yeah definitely okay with like Skype chats than they were like five years ago which is great on my commute times but it is making it harder to actually physically show people albums So how have you been showing them the albums without actually physically taking it to them? So I do my album designs in Fundy software, but, you know, there's lots of other third-party products that you can... I'm being so diplomatic here, aren't I? (laughs) Other softwares exist. Other software companies exist. So I design mine in Fundy. It just makes it really visually... Uh, engaging for the clients to then when they see the proof, you know, it looks like the album they're going to have printed out. Mm-hmm. So what I do is, you know, when, when I've created a good one of those, if I'm talking to an inquiry about the kind of ways they might want to enjoy their photos, I will send them a link to one of these online albums that I have made for somebody else. And I'll try and pick a wedding that's a bit similar to theirs, you know, if it's a yeah. barn wedding or a marquee wedding or a central London wedding, I'll try and send them a link to an album that looks a bit like, you know, their wedding might, just so they can feel much more in tune with it. And then although they're not seeing and feeling, you know, the beautiful quality of the outside cover, 
the really important bit is the story that you're telling on the inside and how you position images to put emphasis on certain parts of the story and how those little supporting images play a role against the main cast or the traditional wedding photos as you might otherwise see them. So by then being able to see how the layout really helps to tell the story, it brings it to life for them. Yeah. That's the second best thing to actually being able to hold one, in my view. So when I send them, I send their requiry a link to that. Even if we've not had a phone conversation, I will work it into my email reply to them. Okay. If you want to think about how to enjoy your photos in the future, you know, here's a link to a story I made earlier. You know, and I, I tend to not always call it an album, you know, a storybook or something. You know, if you think that album might sound a bit too traditional, and might conjure up memories of like their grandparents' album with the folded corners, the sticky corners. You know, if you think that they might end up getting that perception, it's just talk about it as a storybook or a coffee table book. And then when they see the design, they realise it's not that stuffy old wedding album that they had in mind. That's the second thing I've never done. (laughs) (laughs) I generally will send like slideshows of weddings I think are similar. I've never sent like album layouts of, of similar weddings. Well, see, I definitely send a slideshow too, because they are very evocative you know with the music it's so emotive that I think that helps them to buy into you as a photographer Mm -hmm. but then when you're looking to build the package of you know what do I want to buy as a package they're probably not just going to go and replay the slideshow all the time are they but they will you know reach for the album from the shelf in the lounge or from the coffee table and actually give it to somebody so both is good I would say you know and it just shows the story in in two different ways well that's interesting I've never heard of anybody doing that before so I think that's really cool going back to something that you mentioned before um so you said that you we're speaking about this a little bit at one of the conferences. Are you speaking about the same thing at all three? Or is there different, slightly, something slightly different at one of the others? Elevate was a more in-depth version because I had just over an hour mm-hmm. to cover it. So I maybe covered a little bit more of the actual process, like the science behind the, you know, the super slick sales approach that we're talking about. So I may have like gone into a bit more depth in that one. At Jellybean that's coming up, that's a, an event that's not specifically for photographers. Mm. So I'll be modifying the content to really make it more generically about how to sell yourself, you know, knowing your unique selling points, but knowing your client and then how to ask questions that will get them thinking about and giving you answers that will help you match up to the USPs and and the unique things that you deliver that just make them an ideal match. So I'll be pulling in examples for florists and pulling in examples for cake makers and maybe bloggers. So I shall be adapting the content Mm -hmm. for a broader audience and with the nine dots gathering it'll be not obviously specifically photography but it'll be along the lines of how to make money out of your clients in a way that has integrity Mm. because you know we all need to make money we can't be starving artists we all work bloody hard and I don't think we should be apologetic about making money and exactly yeah being proud of the value that we deliver and be prepared to charge for it so there may be more of a sort of commercial spin on that as in to make people feel fired up about being able to make money out of doing this as well. Yeah. A lack of inspiration isn't always the issue. And sometimes you can be a very inspired photographer, but you still have to make your ends meet. Mm -hmm. This is the difference between like the professional and the amateurs. The professional needs to get paid. Like I have bills. (laughs) There is passion behind this, but there's also like the driving desire to be able to like turn my lights on and be able to put shoes on my feet. Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with doing those things. Absolutely. You can have a business based around the things that you're passionate about. And there's, it's not a dirty word making money and it should never be a dirty word to make money. Exactly. 
I feel like there's an element of, of British culture that comes into play here where I find it's, it's just a thing that's always been there about people being a little uncomfortable with the whole money chat. Because I'm British, but I'm, I've got a Chinese upbringing. I think Chinese culture is the opposite, where we basically love money openly. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wonder if, if there's an element of that because, I, I don't know, do you see any cultural differences? Definitely. I think it is a very British thing yeah. to be apologetic about success as well. You know, we're, mm. we're terrible at shouting about our success and being proud about it. And, there is a British element in me as well that feels, you know, with my achievements and awards and things like that, I feel really uncomfortable shouting about them. Yeah. Although I know that as a business person, I need to do that. I suppose I've grown up in this culture of being quite modest and humble, you know, mm. but I do have a business background and I do have a selling background. So maybe for 15 or 18 years of my sales training when I was at IBM or sales experience when I was yeah. at IBM, that was kicked out of me. You know, <laughs> I've got targets I want to make money it's good to make money it's great to overachieve on your targets so when you're submersed in that kind of culture it becomes okay suddenly but then I come from that world into a photography world where mm-hmm. everyone's doing it for the love of their art and you know for the love of their clients it's like that's all good and well yeah. but I've got kids to feed and I've got a mortgage to pay yeah. and you know I want to go on holiday so I want this job you know and that's what it is to me right. to work around my lifestyle and to fit my lifestyle mm. so I have to make money from it I can't afford to do this job if I'm not going to make money from it. And it may just come a bit more naturally to me because of the environment I've come from that I don't feel apologetic about making money from my clients because I know that they're getting an equal, if not greater amount of value back as a result. So it's just a mindset shift of I'm not selling to them. I'm helping them to buy from me. You know, when we go shopping and we buy something, we don't feel aggrieved at the salesperson who took the money from us do we we feel happy about the purchases and excited to use them or to show our friends what we've just bought you know and I think like as a consumer you have that barrier of being like okay so this thing is really expensive I think this is overvalued I think this is undervalued and like when something's at the suggest the right value you're like oh right like of course like that's makes perfect sense and so it's like it's having to inject that value and to show them how that value exists but sometimes like when you're at the shops and then you see like the ridiculous price or something, you're like, I am not paying that much for that. Like there is like that huge psychology of selling right. and understanding like once you know like a value of something. And I think that's a lot of times where the brands come into. If so, if somebody just showed you a handbag and it was 500 quid, you're just like, I am not paying 500 quid for that handbag. But they're like, oh, it's a Chanel handbag. And you're like, oh, 500 quid's quite a good deal. <laughs> Well, that's exactly it. You know, it's perception. It's perception of value because there's no way that the leather on that, you know, Chanel handbag is different to the one you're going to buy down at TK Maxx, for instance. You know, it comes from the same cow. You better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's that's branding and marketing and a whole different other subject. But that creating desire, helping people to see the value yeah. is what our jobs are. Mm. That's what makes the difference, I think. So, Marianne, back to your point when you said a lot of your clients will come to you and say, I can't afford to buy an album Mm. I would tackle my clients on that in a very subtle way obviously not in a ninja kind of way (laughs) (laughs) you are the album ninja (laughs) I would challenge them you know in a friendly way to say okay well talk to me about the wedding you know what are you spending your money on Mm. and you'll find that they're spending a ridiculous amount of money on a car to drive them 10 minutes down the road or you know favors and flip-flops for people in the evening and all these little fripperies that don't add any real value to their wedding day and certainly won't be remembered Mm. but if they can substitute those for 
remembering their wedding for the rest of their life, which seems like the better use of their money. That's true. So most of our clients do have the money. They're just spending it on different things. And our job is to maybe challenge them a little bit to say, can we just talk about the relative values of these things? (laughs) Could you maybe spend a little less on this or forego it altogether? Or, you know, could you maybe invite four less work colleagues that doesn't really matter if they're not there, you know, and the the money you've saved on that means that you can enjoy your wedding photos for the rest of your life. Hmm. So... They do have budget. It's just they think that I've got an amount for photography and I've got an amount for my cake and I've got an amount for my shoes. And the shoes might be 500 quid. Mm. Like get rid of the Jimmy shoes and just get a pair of rainbow shoes and then, you know, put the rest on an album. No one sees the shoes anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Because I have conversations with my clients, you know, I do take time to get to know them before we start talking shop on our phone call. We'll talk about them and try to get a feel for their personality and what they spend their money on and how they live their life and the things that are important to them. Because then I can gauge, you know, how cheeky I can be, you know, and how forward I can be. And because I would never just come out and say that to somebody I didn't have a feel for, you know. Mm. But after, you know, half an hour of good banter with somebody, I might be able to say, for fuck's sake, really? Do you need the Jimmy Choo shoes? Get rid of them and have an album. (laughs) I could say it like that to someone I feel like I know a bit better. And they're more inclined to go, do you know what you're right? Yeah, it's on the Jimmy Choo. <laughs> yeah. That's how it works, really. But it's coming from a place of them realising I want them to have the best and I want them to have the right things. And I see it as my job to sort of educate them a little bit mm. or at least enlighten them. And if they choose to, you know, keep the Jimmy Choo's and not have an album, that's fine. But at least they went into that knowingly, you know, as in, you know, they've made, they've made the choice rather than they just didn't think about it and I didn't help them think about it. Yeah. I feel like a lot of this is... is... Um, facilitated by the fact that you've got like the confidence and and the skill set of of persuasion you know ninja moves (laughs) but like you know you've obviously definitely got a clear idea behind it but also the ability to deliver that uh, in an eloquent way like you said you did was it 15 years of sales background right yes yeah do you think for people who who don't have that sort of previous work experience I mean how easy would be for for them to learn how to do the same thing so that was my actual picture elevate really was the how do you do it you know what is the process because they is actually a learned thing it's not a gift of the gab or something that you're born with you know I I learned it as a technique um, and I was sort of teaching that same technique there's a like a six stage process that you go through which once you get familiar with it it just stops becoming a process and it starts becoming just you know habit or just you know inherent nature like driving you know when you first start driving you think mirror signal maneuver And you have to think of all those things consciously when you first do them. But once you do them repetitively, then you just don't even, you know, putting your makeup on and changing the radio and doing other things whilst you're doing all those things without even thinking about it. So familiarity and practice definitely makes it slicker, but it can be easily learned because all it is, is a questioning technique. And the questions that you ask are all everyday language. You know, it's just the conversations you would probably have with your clients anyway, if you were sitting having a drink with them, but in a much more structured way, you know, um, and with intent, you know, you know where you are, you know why you're asking this question and where you're going with it, what you're hoping to hear from it and what you might say next to it, you know, to get them from talking about how nervous they are in front of the camera to have an engagement shoot at the end of it, you know? So people will do have these conversations anyway. They're just probably having them in a slightly more, erratic way and they maybe not close it off in a way that Mm. brings about a sale if that makes sense okay anyone can do this at elevate when the kind of questions that I was asking people 
or that I asked my clients and showing those to people, everyone was scribbling down because they were all thinking, I never thought to ask this question in this way. Mm-hmm. But they could see it's something that they could take away and go and do. It's not, uh, I have to work to IBM for 15 years to be able to, to do this. It's not that at all. I can teach people that. And, and I am working on some Ooh. digital content to put a course out to help people do that. Ooh. I like how in like the last like 30 minutes, Nadine has made me feel like so guilty like, not in a bad way. I'm just like, I already thought I was working pretty hard, but clearly I'm just not working hard enough. So thank you. <laughs> Sorry, it was not my intention. <laughs> but I can help you if you need some help. It's just a process. A lot of people will do this successfully anyway. They just may not realize that they're doing it. Or they may do, you know, 80% of it really well. You know, like get themselves booked and get an engagement shoot booked and maybe a second shooter. So but then they're leaving a lot of money on the table by not having that last conversation and then uh, leaving a lot of value left undelivered to the client as well. Mm. And, you know, I do, I just, I am very passionate about what the album does. So I make an extra special effort to include that in my conversations because I want them to enjoy their photography. You mentioned that, you know, that you said you you didn't want to be a a one trick pony with the album ninja thing. Do you think there's other topics that you might, or other areas of expertise that you have that you might be sharing in the future? This is where the like the modesty thing comes in, doesn't it? I know what I do that's different to other photographers, and that is the client management side and the the selling side and, you know, the kind of like the value delivery thing. So there may be more around influencing people somehow. Okay. But I know I, I know I'm a pretty good photographer, but I just don't know and I could teach anybody Anything that I know on photography, I'm pretty confident I could teach it to them well. Yeah. But I, I'm just I kind of maybe look for gaps in the market, you know, where you know, there are loads of other people talking about flash and doing flash really well or mm. talking about posing and portraiture. So why would they come to me for that? You know, I'm not necessarily the master in those things. I, I do a good enough job at them. Yeah. But is that you know, is it unique? Do I have a unique set of skills that people would want to come to me on? So I don't know. I mean, I've had a few people ask me about mentoring and you know, if I can like fit it in with them, then I'd love to do that. I love to help people. I genuinely do. I'd love to help them on anything to do with photography. Yeah. But I know the areas where there's a gap out there. So I would probably tend to focus on that because I might maybe the more natural person to come to for it. Mm. So it's just honestly, ladies, it is a um it's a time factor thing at the moment. You yeah. know, I, I'm struggling to find the time to put together all the digital content I have on this enormous subject of which uh, there seems to be quite a lot of demand. I have a lot of people asking me, when's the Ninja sales kit coming out? And when can we, when can we have this? You know, and I, I really want to do it. I've, I've got a structure in place to deliver it. It's just school holidays, family visits, you know, badly planned holidays on my part, a gazillion weddings and, you know, speaking events. And it's just, you know, I say yes to everything and then just have to try and make it all happen. So all the bits that fall between, you know, between the cracks are the bits for you, aren't they? You know, so I'm just always delivering to other people at the moment. So I just haven't got around to doing that bit yet. So yeah, I'd love to do more in the future, but let's get this one done first. <laughs> I will say that like one of the best pieces of advice I had when I was first starting out um was for from like a really successful photographer and he was he was saying that like the things that make you successful aren't photography. Mm-hmm. Like people get into photography because they're good at photography and pretty much like most of the industry is pretty good at photography. Like that's not the thing that's going to make you successful by any stretch of the imagination. And it's all these other things um, like the marketing and the sales and the networking and this, these sort of things that are the things that are really going to make you successful. 
Mm. And I find that really frustrating that like I've been to a lot of photography conferences and workshops and I feel like the, the trend is changing now, thankfully. But a lot of times they just talk about inspiration. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking like inspiration is only like a small part of the puzzle. That's not a business. Yeah. And it's not the thing that's going to make these people successful professional photographers. And I'm so like, I'm glad that like you're out there like kicking ass being like, mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about this thing. Like, and you are like an incredibly talented photographer and you can very easily talk about like the, the inspiration part of it. But the fact that you're really talking about like, let's make this a job. I find very kick-ass and I'm glad that you're doing oh, it. Thanks Carrie. That's all, all I know how to do. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and I'm going to like step off my soapbox now because like I do like, I always feel like, feel like really like whenever I see a non inspiration talk of like a really practical meat and bones talk I get like really excited about it like yay <laughs> actually I'm going to be able to use this I can take something away and and use it and yeah. you know of all the like the podcasts and the you know meetings that I've done and the talks that I've done I've had so many people follow up with me afterwards and say I tried this and it worked you know and or I've just taken my first 1500 pound album sale which was unheard of for them before wow so to know that what I'm talking about is not just achievable by me because of my unique set of experiences and skills and training is that just a few nuggets of information that people went and tried and did it with with an open mind and they got achieved something out of it as well that just makes my heart sing you know it's all worthwhile and that you know this is it's re- this is a real thing it's doable and I, I'm happy that people are making money out of doing this because we all work so hard we need to yeah fair enough. well why don't I change the topic just a little bit and like ask you how your wedding season is going you don't have to like dish on any particular clients because you never know they might hear you um but how's it going like how are you doing in early July. Are you keeping are you keeping your head together? I'm just about keeping my head together, but not as a result of my clients and the crazy work schedule. It's all the other things that I mentioned to you, you know, my children, Aww. you know, incre- increasingly being tired and needing more attention and all the school stuff, you know, I've got to go and um, man their beach party for 2 hours this afternoon. <laughs> they don't have a beach anywhere nearby, but you know they were like so so short of parent helpers. And that, you know, I just feel like, oh, I can't have their thing cancelled because they've got enough people to help. Okay, my husband and I will come and help. So just commitments to things like that. We've ridiculously started to renovate our house in the middle of wedding season. Oh, my God. So oh. Things like that to be to be going on. Um, we've t- I've taken three weeks off this year to spend, hey. I know, like August and September to have some family holiday time in the middle of school holidays because I've never done that. Oh. Now, having to plan that holiday right now is a ridiculous ridiculous amount of stress when I've got so much culling and editing to do so um it's just everyday life that is creating the uh, keeping my head above water but my clients have been brilliant you know I've had really really lovely clients really patient ones like I haven't been chased anywhere near as much as you know I felt in previous years oh good like really nice weddings where everyone's so welcoming inclusive and you know putty in your hands you know they'll do anything and try anything you want it's, they have been brilliant oh perfect it's going really well from that point of view and I'm just holding all the rest of it <laughs> perfectly honestly you get a holiday soon that where are you going on your holiday we decided we're flying into LA Ooh. and we are going to have a little bit of time around in LA and San Diego and we're going to do like Universal Studios and 
maybe Disney, I don't know, but just because the kids are at that kind of age, if we don't do it now, you know, this may be the last time. Mm. And then we're going to have just some family time around there for 10 days. And then we're going up to Canada to have a completely oh, wow. opposite kind of experience. So out in the wilderness, we're out on a boat, oh, wow. cruising around the sounds of British Columbia, going on a bear hunt <laughs> and uh, fishing and that kind of thing. So it'll be like two two very different kind of holidays. Oh. Are you going to be off grid then during that time that you're in Canada? It fills me with anxiety to you know like away without wi-fi i kind of feel like how will you reply to client emails <laughs> no, no don't worry Marianne. i will i always have my phone on me anyone that knows me knows that my phone is never far away from me i get kind of anxiety i was at a wedding on saturday absolutely zero mobile signal oh no not not even just like 4g or 3g like no mobile phone signal checked into the b&b opposite and i said oh do you have the wi-fi code and they, like, the very old man was like, Wi-Fi? What was Wi-Fi? <laughs> okay, do you have the internet here? Oh, yeah, yeah. Upstairs in our house, not in your cottage. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, oh, what? So I spent like the whole evening down at the pub just to you know have some <laughs> connection with the outside world. I thought, this is a little bit sad, really, that you know, I feel ne- the need to be connected, even though I'm in this gorgeous little village in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> you know, I get the shakes if I'm offline too much. <laughs> <laughs> the the boat that we're on will have connectivity. They've got satellite comms and stuff, so we're, we'll we'll still have connectivity. That'll be fine. <laughs> and I'm sure I'll get a deluge of uh, of uh, inquiries at that time, won't I? Obviously. <laughs> Soslaw says Soslaw, yeah, yeah probably you're describing these like beautiful plans and I was just like wi-fi wi-fi yeah, I know <laughs> <laughs> exactly I was like I have to ask I have to ask yeah, yeah. <laughs> the bear have wi-fi I think that's just normal now and when you run a business I think that's fair that's fair as well yeah. well that's a good excuse right we can we can blame it on the we've got businesses I found like this a few times that I've been off the internet for several days I find it actually really relaxing but I, I do think like that's a part of being self-employed and, and having a business is checking your email. Like if you just check it once a day, it doesn't actually take that long to do. Cause sometimes some of these emails, especially if you have like um, a way to like auto fill out the information, you don't actually have to spend that long doing emails, but if you spend three to four minutes, God, let's be honest, it's longer than that. 20 minutes, just real quick answering emails, like the important emails, not necessarily the unimportant ones. You can still like be providing a good service to your customers and not missing out on inquiries and still kind of, I don't know, I feel like that's a good balance. Like, cause if you're in Tahiti just to spend 20 minutes on emails, that's okay. Maybe people, like people will probably chime in and be like, you, you guys are, you guys are crazy. But I feel like we do get a lot of flexibility and work-life balance in this job. And so to like give up 20 minutes on another, on like a day that you might be off, isn't necessarily the end of the world. For me, it's not even so much email, you know, it's, the other social media platforms, because I find um, particularly, you know, referrals things, you know, if someone puts up a post to referral, like if you're not, if you're available and you don't have your name down there in five minutes, it's like it's closed, you know, because someone else is like, we've got enough people, you know. So I do use my social media a lot for networking with my community and we share stuff and, you know, and also like to give and be helpful. Like if someone's in in a fix and they need an answer, and I see it, I can't help myself from wanting to reply there and then, even though that response probably could wait, you know, a few hours until later. It's that kind of, you know, immediate um, culture that we've, we've grown into. But also there's a very real side of it. You know, I might get inquiries or referrals through, you know, Facebook or through Instagram. And I just feel if you're not on it quickly, you know, chances are they're probably talking to more than one person as well. That actually literally just happened to me as I was pulling up the thing for the podcast. I was going to schedule to have a client meeting tonight. 
And I could have had the client meeting last night, but I opted to go to the gym instead. Mm -hmm. And he just emailed saying he booked someone else, someone he talked to last night. And I was just like... It's gutting. Ah, like... And, you know, it shouldn't be like that, but it is. You know, people, everybody, not just us, but everybody is so impatient and instant. And, you know, unless you've got something so unique that they're going to not respond to anyone until they've heard from Carrie, you know, I'm going to wait to see what Carrie's got to say. They just strike up a nice bit of conversation and rapport with someone else and that's it. But I think that like part of the industry is like, there is a lot of really good photographers out there, especially at like decent price points. Because like if you're at, at the 300 pound price point, there's a lot of crap. At like at the higher price points, there's a lot of really good photographers that you're competing against. And so if somebody has a budget, their chances are they're actually talking to a lot of very good competition. Yeah. Exactly. And speed is of the essence and, you know, first mover advantage and all that. So it's annoying. No, it's not. I mean, it suits me. I'm that kind of a person anyway. So it doesn't feel like an infringement upon my life. It might do to my family, but it doesn't to me. So um, I'm all about jumping to help people if they ask, Whoever, whoever it is, whether it's a client or another photographer who needs some help or, you know, just a friend in need. I like to be there for people, but I do think I think it comes around. Okay, so next time I have to bury a body, I'm going to phone you then. Yes, I'm the one. Okay. <laughs> yes. I'll be, I'll be asking for dimensions and, you know, <laughs> what's the terrain that we're going for and just to make sure we do a really, really good job. But <laughs> do you find that your, your sales techniques and skills carry over into the, the pre-booking side of things? Because um, you mentioned a bit about getting inquiries from Instagram and Facebook and stuff, like what what do you kind of go for on that end on the front end on the front end in terms of what I put out there in a push sense it's just trying to get some personality over you know it's like being very selective in the images that I put out there I mean I my my um, social media is a bit sporadic I would say but um when I, I'm about quality rather than quantity so rather than just having something three times a day you know I might wait until I'm feeling oh I want to post this image and then I'll just put some personality into the caption or the write-up, you know, try and tag people where if I've you know got the details of who it is to get it circulated. You know, I mean other suppliers and things like that. And um, yeah, I just find that other people share it or you know, they'll see it through the friends that they've tagged and or what actually mostly happens at the front end we're talking about is maybe at a wedding, I get a lot of my referrals from people who are actually at the wedding I'm at. Mm-hmm. Something that I notice when I'm at weddings is people comment on, well, the way I conduct myself and often ask me, you know, am I available for their wedding at a wedding? You know, so on Saturday's wedding, I have booked a wedding for next May. Just they like the way that they see you operating and they haven't even seen the photos. Right, exactly. They haven't seen the photos. They no. have no idea like what your work looks like. They just like you. Yes. They like you at the wedding. Oh, that's perfect. You and your manner. And I think that is your biggest sales tool is how you are with people. So back to your original question, does all that sort of translate outside of the sales field? Yes, in terms of just being with people, you know, I'm I'm interested in people. I will take time at a wedding to talk to the guests and mingle with them and show them that I'm Nadine, not just the photographer, and have like a really nice chat with people because that just makes you so engaging to them and unlike most photographers that they've seen, so that makes you memorable. I mean, I don't know what everyone else is doing. I I certainly like to think that the people that I know as photographers would be doing the same thing, but there must be a whole other, you know, tribe of them out there who are just doing it really badly for this to be noteworthy 
for them to actually feel the need to comment and say what a great job you're doing when they haven't even seen the photos. I like, if I can, sitting with the guests at the wedding breakfast Mm. because it gives me the chance to really talk to them. And I've had a lot of them comment to me like, oh, like every wedding we've been at, the the photographer always like, they just want to sit away from us. They never want to sit with Mm. us. I was like, no, that's not the case. Like, don't get invited. (laughs) Don't get invited. No, we don't get invited. And so like, I've been (laughs) finding that when I've been like encouraging my couples and giving them reasons for having me sit with the guests, Mm. that the guests have responded really well to it yeah and they've been like oh so like i love that you're hanging out with us and talking to us and a lot of times i get stuck in like really fun tables or with kind of weird grandmas (laughs) and stuff like that it's kind of nice to like yeah i had one i had one a few weeks ago that was like we got into a long brexit debate and she's like oh i voted for brexit and i was like oh how are you feeling about that now (laughs) (laughs) it's a dangerous one to go down (laughs) (laughs) oh controversial politics actually last year i got sat across the table from an english trump supporter right it's like as soon as he heard my accent he had to like talk about how much he loved trump okay i was thinking like the world is trolling me (laughs) because i have to be professional i can't just like lose my cool at this person (laughs) i've always feel like it's kind of like this interesting like conversation like you can have with the guests at the table (laughs) that you it's okay to sit and have dinner with them like you don't have to like you don't have to be seen working like you sitting and talking to them and they see you as a human and then all of a sudden like that reduces the barrier a bit yeah exactly yeah puts you on a level with them and so I mean I think also just the the way you conduct yourself or how you are with a couple because I don't know about your couples but mine are very sort of affectionate or kissy tactile with me in a professional way. I mean, like, they'll give you a hug. You know, when you walk down the aisle, the groom will actually give you a hug, like, right in front of everybody. So that immediately shows that, oh, they all think I'm a friend of the couple most of the time. It just happens to be a photographer. Yeah. Mm. And they'll say, how did you meet them? How do you know them? I was like, oh, well, you know, I'm the hired help, you know. Yeah. Like, oh, my God, we just thought, we thought you were one of their friends, you know, just with a camera. Yeah. Well, I know they're friends now. (laughs) I just think all of that being just becoming one of them, that seems to work for me in terms of referrals. I get lots of referrals from weddings I'm actually at. Yeah. I always feel very flattered when someone tells me at the wedding, oh, you're such a good photographer. And I'm just like, you haven't even seen the photo. We love it, don't we? We all say the same thing. Oh, God, I love it. You don't know. How do I work? While you're flattering me, how do I work this thing? Do I press this button? Do I do, should the battery be in the camera? <laughs> oh, I've said that to someone before where, where they, they said like, Oh, um, you're doing a really good job and I literally was like, What if the photos are shit? <laughs> and she just looked back at me and I was like Do that, I'm just here for the canopies. <laughs> Am I meant to be taking photos? Yeah. <laughs> I do that I do use that if I if I feel like I need to get back to it, you know. It's like if I, you know, when you feel like you're just taking you're having too much fun with them and it's like i feel like i really need to go and take some photos now i kind of uh, i do joke about that it's nice though so yeah, i've had some it's going well you know having nice clients i'm enjoying myself at weddings now which is good you know so long may it continue how long have you been shooting weddings for nadine my first one was in 2013 and i probably did maybe three then oh, you know wow. it's like just like the very beginning yeah and then i may have had something like 15 the second year and then I got busy enough that I needed to leave IBM. So I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't have been able to run both of them side by side. So 2014 was when I officially exited the IT industry and officially became a, you know, a professional wedding photographer. So yeah, four years. Okay. So you've got had a lot of success in that time. Oh, thank you. 
Yeah. I, I don't know what else to say. I was going to say, I'm, I'm about to make you feel, I'm going to make you feel awkward now. Oh, there I am. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was nothing. <laughs> oh, this old thing. That's the difference between me and Carrie. Carrie's like lovely and open and friendly and I'm just like, dry and awkward. That's my... <laughs> no, it's so hard though. Thank you. I am, I am proud. I am proud of my teamers. It's just find it really hard to say that, don't you? It's just... Not... Yeah. What made you decide to switch from IT to photography then? I knew I wanted something different. I'd been working for in the IT industry for a while and... At that time, I was selling IT outsourcing, you know, like running big banks, IT departments for them. And the IT outsourcing magazine would drop through the letterbox and stay in its cellophane for six months. <laughs> and that was kind of an indication to me that and I'm not really very passionate about IT outsourcing, am I? I don't really care what's going on, you know, mm. in, in, in the industry. And I just thought, I do, I'm, I'm a hard worker and I love working. But I want to love what I'm doing. And I thought, if I can do kind of this well at something that I don't really love, you know, how well could I do at something I really do love? And I didn't know what it was. I had no idea what it was, but I felt that there's something else out there for me. So I didn't, I had no way of finding it. So I did the typical midlife crisis thing and went traveling around the world for a year. And um, I just went on my own and I was just completely open to anything, like any influence. I, the, my one goal is that when I come back, I will not be living. When I come back, when I finish this one year, I will not be living in the UK. I will have a different job and I'll be living somewhere else. And I don't know what it is, but it's not going to be here. That's the, that's the one thing I knew. So I went with a very open mind. I thought it might be something in the sailing world because I had done my skipper's course and I quite fancied being a sailing instructor or working in the yachting industry of some sort. Ooh. So that I kind of spent some time in my year out in in that um, in that field. And mm. um, it was 2008, though. So it was the year of the financial crisis. So, oh, so, yeah. no, but, so I had explored a few options in that industry. And, you know, they'd have loved to give me a job and I'd love to have taken one, but they had none to give because they were having to get rid of people. So it was a really bad time to look for a new career. But um, in, un, unwittingly, in the process, um, found myself a husband en route. So <laughs> in the yachting bad. world, yeah. So um, that kind of all the plans kind of changed. You know, when I came back, is that like I came back with well, almost a fiance. He was a fiance by the time he came to visit. But um, <laughs> yeah, and then just ended up having to go back to IBM. I was like, this is not the plan. You know, the plan is to have found a different job live in a different country and now i've got baggage yeah that's filling me with like loads of like warm fuzzies and stuff now (laughs) oh well i think we should start wrapping up because it's been about an hour or so and i think that's a reasonable length for a podcast before we start you know start going into like wedding season mania thank you so much nadine bye